Welcome to Marvel Us Disney, the podcast that discusses all of the recent doings at one of the Walt Disney's company's more intriguing divisions, Marvel. As for who us is, I'm Jim Hill, and here's Aaron Adams. Hello, good to be back with you once again. Yeah, this is, what is it, is this episode number five at this point? It is. We've actually filled an entire handful of fingers worth of shows. Jeez. I'm very proud of that. Oh, well, okay. We've made it to the opposable thumb, folks. But taking a look backwards at Thor Ragnarok. Now, we've talked previously about this film, but it was released November of 2017. We're nine weeks into its theatrical run, and to date, this Marvel Studio production has made $312 million domestic, $537 million overseas, total worldwide gross of $849 million. Now, just to give us a sort of a yardstick here, the original Thor only made $449 million worldwide. Thor Dark World reached $644 million worldwide. So when you look at the fact that Ragnarok has made $849 million, Marvel Studios started with this trend. $200 million bump in the box office between Dark World and Ragnarok. Production costs did creep up a bit. First Thor film cost $150 million to make. Second one cost $170 And I have to admit, I'm kind of intrigued that there's only a $10 million difference between what the company spent or the studio spent on Ragnarok. It, it came in at 180, and it's a really great-looking movie. It is. Considering most of it does not take place on Earth, mm -hmm. it's an easy thing to be like, oh, well, let's just film this on Earth. But when you're in a fantastical world mm -hmm. where nothing resembles, there's no trees, you know, it's all a fantasy scape, that takes a huge budget to be able to create that. And it just means that, that they're getting more effective at creating beautiful, fantastic, realistic environments at lower cost. And that's sometimes to the detriment of production houses that actually make those effects because they're in a bidding war and they're bidding low and working long hours to achieve great, great things. But the steps forward that we're taking visually hmm. and the reduction in cost to where even Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has been having some nice special effects here and there that 10 years ago you couldn't find on a television show that was reserved for only movies. And now they're sneaking in some cool stuff in television because it's getting cheaper and easier to do. So the fact the budget didn't go up super huge, but still look 10 times better, not totally surprised. And I, and I applaud them for their efforts of making it look 10 times better at a tenth of the cost more. When you talk to folks at the studio, they they basically sort of lay the $200 million difference at the feet of the Hulk. They were very straightforward from the early teaser trailer to the television campaign that this movie prominently featured the Hulk. As I understand it, as we get ready for the digital version of Thor Ragnarok, which, which by the way, is supposed to be the digital HD version is supposed to drop in late February of this year, and then the Blu-ray DVD is in early March. By the way, Aaron has some thoughts about what Disney is doing with, with its digital stuff, which we'll get to in a few minutes at the, at the show. For right now, let's talk about Hulk. Yeah, what I'd, I'd like to do here, if you folks will indulge me, is that if you, you talk with the people at Marvel, uh, they will flat out tell you that their character that has biggest appeal, the most recognition is Spider-Man, but number two and I mean a very close number two is the Hulk and this is a character that you know Stan Lee and Jack Kirby introduced back in May of 1962 with the, the very first issue of Incredible Hulk and Stan Lee, as Stan is, is known to do, that when he's claiming complete credit for everything <laughs> he talked about when you look at the Hulk, what he envisioned doing with this character you see, he saw him as a combination of Frankenstein and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It was just sort of right. lumping these two together. And Hulk really hit the ground running. I mean, again, uh, first issues out May of 1962. By September of 66, he's making the jump from comic book sensation to television star. That He's one of five favorites that were featured in the syndicated Marvel superhero animated series. By mm -hmm. the way, I, I don't mean to throw this at you, Aaron, but... No, go for it. A little trivia test here. Okay. The Hulk wasn't the most recent creation 
to be featured on this infamously poorly animated series. I, I don't know if you've ever actually seen an episode of Marvel's superheroes from, from the early 60s, but the joke oh, back yeah. then was to call the show Illustrated Radio was an insult to radio. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a lot of, hey, look over there. Yeah, it was poor back then. But, you know, I was a child of the 70s, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I remember getting up for my Saturday morning cartoons to watch Spider-Man and his amazing friends with Iceman and Firestar and all that. So, And then I also have the old 60s version complete set on DVD as well. So, yeah, I, I know, I know. It's bad stuff. But again, it got the characters out there at a time, especially in syndication. But this television series featured a rotating roster of seven-minute-long cartoons. They starred Captain America, Iron Man, The Mighty Thor, the Incredible Hulk, and Namor the Submariner. Mm-hmm. Okay, care to guess which of these characters is the oldest? Submariner. Ooh, I love that you got that. All right, see, see, again, I was actually startled by this info, that he dates back to April of 39. In mm. fact, this was published by the company that preceded Marvel Timely Comics, but... yep. The fact that Submariner was introduced in the Motion Picture Funnies Weekly? Do you know anything about this book? Or Very, very little because it was published so, so far before my existence mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. this planet that I've read about it through various Stan Lee mm-hmm. memoirs and biographies and stuff like that. So, I mean, I've read about these moments in passing, and I mm-hmm. know the existence of the history, but I couldn't quote a date or many specific details. I know, for example, like Human Torch mm-hmm. has been around a heck of a, a lot longer than the Fantastic Four. Really? Yeah. He was a character that was, again, in that early time period closer to namor Mm -hmm. and it was he had a series for a little while but then years and years later it's like hey we got this and and stanley's creating the fantastic four and it's like hey remember that human torch thing yeah it'd be a good place to put him here well i get it i love that you know that particularly if if i had to guess here i would have gone with captain america and but again that's supposedly also published by timely but in that case, what is it? The, the first Captain America, I guess, debuted in March of 41, nine months before America actually entered World War II. Mm-hmm. But then to, to, to jump ahead, the, the next three Marvel superhero characters were all, I mean, this, this is kind of stunning to me. They were all introduced in within one 10-month-long period in the early 1960s. Let's see. First comic book featuring the Incredible Hulk was published May of 62. Mighty Thor debuts in a, a story that's featured in Marvel's Journey into Mystery, issue number 83, which is published in, in August of 62. And whereas Iron Man gets introduced in Tales of Suspense, issue number 39, which Marvel publishes in 63. And if you look at Thor and you look at Iron Man, they were, again, just sort of dropped in anthologies. And it was the response of readers that resulted in these characters getting their own book. Whereas the Incredible Hulk debuts right off the bat in his own issue. That's how strongly Stan and Jack felt about this character. That, you know, there's a huge story here. We need to do this something with this. So to retell quickly an old Stan Lee story about the creation of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And he took it to his boss and his boss immediately rejected it because, you know, kids can't be superheroes. They're only sidekicks. And he's got all these problems about, you know, a sick aunt and, and high school trouble and Nobody will read that garbage. So Amazing Fantasy 15 comes out. It's going to be the last issue. And he's like, hey, uh, Stan, go just fill it up. I don't care what you put in it. Throw in that spider guy if you want. I don't care. And Amazing Fantasy 15 becomes this big, huge thing. And all of a sudden now we have his boss going, hey, Stan, remember that idea I love so much about that spider guy? Let's make a series out of that. Because they didn't get their sales numbers until like six months later. It was a really slow process to figure out if something was a hit. So you find out, oh, this is a success. We need to make more of this. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, uh, DC's doing this kind of character. Can we do something that's kind of similar but different that you know isn't direct copyright infringement? <laughs> and then you've got this incredible spawning of characters left and right from both universes that are inspiring each other in some you know way or another. And then all of a sudden, like 
you get, was it Wolverine's first appearance, I believe, was in a Hulk issue. Hmm, interesting. And then all of a sudden you get to the point of Hulk is popular. You introduce a character like Wolverine, all of a sudden he becomes a hit. And then you're all of a sudden down this whole X-Men universe road that you're expanding and exploring. And a lot of the success of some characters led to the success of other characters simply because it was their first appearance in, you know, a Hulk book or an Iron Man book. And wow, that was cool. I like more of that. And all of a sudden, you've got a growing universe that's just unfolding like a flower. All very true. And it, it, it's intriguing that you bring up DC, because if we jump ahead 10 years from 1966 to 1978, this is when Superman the movie is due to arrive in theaters December of that year with really high box office expectations and lots of hoopla so every other studio in hollywood begins eyeballing whether or not they should get into the superhero business and god help us this includes walt disney productions as well like mm. i don't know if you're familiar with condor man yep okay disney's <laughs> attempt from 81 i'm these days most people know about condor man because it stars michael crawford if you're a Broadway fan, you know him. He's the guy who played the Phantom of the title character in the Phantom of the Opera when it came to New York in the 80s. If, on the other hand, you're a Pixar fan, you know him from Wally. This is the guy who sings the songs from Hello Dolly that sort of provide the, the emotional backbone. You know, it only takes a moment and put on your Sunday clothes. Michael ends up playing in Condor Man, comic book illustrator turned Batman-like gadget-driven superhero Woodrow Wilkins. Uh -huh. And honestly, the only thing that Disney got right out of this movie is the superhero alliteration thing. I mean, Clark Kent, Lois Lane, Peter Parker, Reed Richards, J. Jonah Jameson, Woodrow Wilkins at least fits in with that bunch, but that's as sure. close as they get. Right. The film itself is, ugh, you know, just bad stuff. But at that time, there really weren't any good superhero movies to really hold in high regard. There, It was still children's fair. They were making them on the cheap. Mm -hmm. Me, as their target audience, hadn't grown up enough yet to have disposable income to go see, like, Avengers now. You yep. know, mm -hmm. I am the target audience because I grew up with that since I was a very, very small child. And I am throwing money at them left and right, which is about to stop. We'll get to that later. Back to the Hulk. Okay, so with Superman sort of looming, Universal Television in 1977 had acquired the rights to several Marvel characters, among them the Incredible Hulk. And Kenneth Johnson, who at that time was the writer-producer of The Six Million Dollar Man, was the guy who was tapped to turn this particular Marvel property into something that could then be sort of an hour-long drama. And it wasn't easy. Universal actually shot two different pilots for the show, both of which, oddly enough, ended up airing as TV movies on CBS. One on November 4th, 1977, while the other one ran like two or three weeks later on the 27th of November. And what's kind of intriguing for a franchise film fan like myself is the original casting for the Hulk on the TV series. Do you know about this? Richard Kyle, the guy who played Jaws on uh, James Bond's The Spy Who Loved Me and uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 77, and then brought him back from Moonriser like two years later. But yep, yep. Uh, But anyway, this is the guy they hired to play the Hulk. But as the story goes, he gets on set. He's okay with the green body paint, mm -hmm. but he has trouble with the green contact lenses. And not only that, but you know, when the studio start gets the rushes back and they're starting to look at the, the early stuff that, that they've shot, and it's like... Oh, geez. I mean, he's seven foot two. He's the right size, but he's kind of thin and rangy. He's really not. Yeah. I mean, the Incredible Hulk. He's not is, wide enough. That's it, exactly. And so they have to let him go, and they bring in Lou Ferrigno, the bodybuilder. But if you're paying close attention to the pilot movie, there's one shot left in the movie. Mind you, it's shot from above so you don't suddenly go hey the hulk looked like he's been on a diet <laughs> but yeah you can actually see richard kyle in in the movie hulk on atkins there we go 
As it turns out, these two Hulk TV movies do great in the ratings over the, the November 77 sweeps period. As a direct result, CBS orders a, a Incredible Hulk TV series like ASAP, and mm-hmm. Universal Television turns and burns, and by March 10th of 78, this show is airing every Friday night on CBS, and it runs for four and a half seasons. The show starts to run out of steam in, in spring of 81, and to be honest, CBS wanted to cancel for the fall. They didn't want to run it, but Universal had already shot seven episodes because they had right. assumed that the show was going to be picked up, so they kind of burn them off. The last seven episodes kind of air in, intermittently in 81 with the last episode airing in May of 82, as it's winding down over at UPN, network that's just getting up out of the ground at that point, they actually get another animated series up out of the ground. In fact, this is the one you talked about at the top of the show, Spider-Man with the Friends. But there were only, I guess, 13 episodes made, and mm-hmm. the Hulk episodes are only a couple intermittently there. Right. But here's the thing. Universal isn't ready yet to give up on the Hulk. When CBS decides it doesn't want to do... It, it is a series anymore. They just pivot to NBC and say, hey, look at the ratings we got for the first two Hulk TV movies. Would you guys be intrigued if we did a couple of Hulk movies for you guys? And they're like, well, geez, absolutely. So late 80s, they revive it. They bring back Real Bixby and you know, they bring back Lou Ferrigno and they shoot in 88, The Incredible Hulk Returns. And that's followed in 89 and 90 of with the trial of the Incredible Hulk and the death of the Incredible Hulk. In fact, what's intriguing about the last two is Bill Bixie actually directs those two films. Oh, no, no, no. What's even better about that as a Marvel nut, Mm -hmm. trial of the Incredible Hulk introduces Daredevil and Matt Murdock as the lawyer. And uh, isn't death of the Incredible Hulk at the hands of Thor? Well, I'm so happy you brought that up, because think about it. Here we are, we're suddenly dovetailing back into Thor Ragnarok. In fact, it's actor Eric Kramer who starred in that 1988 TV movie, The God of Thunder. I don't know how many of you would recognize him. Probably he'd be better known if you're a comedy fan. He played Little John in Mel Brooks's uh, 1993 Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yep. But yeah, supposedly there was a fourth TV movie planned, but unfortunately, Bill, who'd been battling cancer, lost his life during that period. And that kind of put an end to what was going on with the Hulk, at least on the TV side of things. But oddly enough, the timing could not have been better because now here comes Tim Burton's Batman. Mm -hmm. And I was talking with my daughter yesterday about how fundamentally that film changed the industry yep they knew they needed a name to open the film and oddly enough they cast backwards it wasn't necessarily that michael keaton was going to get asses and seats i mean he don't get me wrong he'd done wonderful work in beetlejuice and uh, mr mom and that sort of thing but he was known as a comedic actor and you couldn't imagine him as bruce wayne no that's it exactly but on the other hand jack nicholson as the Joker really put that film on the map. Mm -hmm. A lot of people's like, whoa, all right, that I want to see. But the thing was that in order to get Jack to commit to the movie, it wasn't enough to pay him. He actually, in a very, very smart negotiation, he got a chunk of all of the merchandising for Batman. And it really began to color how he then went forward with the various projects he worked on mm-hmm. because he had this taste of of what the merchandising money was going to be. Right. And so, you know, it's like, ooh, well, you know, I want more of that. So, for example, when Disney was casting voices for Hercules in 97 release, mm. Jack Nicholson was their first choice to voice Hades. You know, for a lot of folks, it's like, oh, oh, my God. In fact, there's a, there's a piece of concept art in fact, if you get a copy of the art of uh, Disney's Hercules, there's this full-page illustration of uh, basically Hades as Jack Nicholson, as if he's seated at a Lakers game with the, the sunglasses <laughs> and everything. Uh, and you know, it, funny. it would have been amazing. But in the end, what happened was that Jack came to the Disney lot for for the meeting with the, the two directors, Ron and John. 
Ron Clements and John Musker, and they thought they had it in the bag because he shows up at the lot with his daughter, young girl dressed in evidently a Snow White costume that Jack had bought at the Disney store. And they thought, oh man, this is it. We, we've got Jack Nicholson in the bag. I mean, his daughter's dressed as Snow White. And he comes in and he looks at the concept art and they show him the storyboards and he loves the character. And he says, okay, I'm definitely in. All I ask is I want my Joker deal. And it was like, you want your Joker deal? What is your Joker deal? And well, I get a chunk of the merchandise and Ron and John went pale. And it's like, you understand we're the Walt Disney Company and we don't share money with anybody? Mm -hmm. Not even Jack Nicholson? That's another idea that fell by the wayside. I don't know. It it just kind of kills me because every so often other stories will bubble up about. For example, did you know Nicholson was supposed to play or was was Bob Clark's first choice to play the dad in a Christmas story? Really? Yes. I mean, ahead of Darren McGavin. But evidently, again, same thing. It was kind of like, I want this much money. And I, I think he just finished doing The Shining. So it was kind of hard to transition to, you know, to play. Uh, yeah, I Boy, I'm glad that never happened. Yeah. Batman was this huge rock in the river and everybody wanted to get into the comic book superhero movie business. And Universal's like, well, wait a minute. Let me check those television rights again. It's like, oh, crap. They include the movie rights, which we'll talk about with our next Marvelous Disney podcast. But to pivot back to something we, we referenced at the top of the show, and that being the digital versions of movies that Disney is now putting out in the world, you've got kind of a piece of coal in your stocking this year and what was that all about well it was a it was a shiny uh, piece of gold and then when you dust off the gold you find it's it's kind of coal ish and not so gold ish okay and uh i gotta start with a little preface up front mm-hmm I use Mac, PC, code on a Raspberry Pi, use Linux. So this is not a debate about platform preference of, oh, well, PC's better, Mac's better. This isn't that discussion. This is a warning to people that have amassed a digital library and are tempted by a so far unfulfillable promise. First, the background of the problem is Many of us, for many years, if we love movies, we had to buy physical media because download speeds just weren't fast enough for streaming 10 years ago. So I've amassed over 1,000 DVDs, 500 Blu-rays. Many of those came with a little slip of paper that allowed you to download a digital copy of the movie. Most people are familiar with this. Yeah, yeah. I found those in all sorts of my Disney titles. So sometimes you could use that in iTunes to download your movie, and sometimes you had to go to Sony.com slash redeem or WarnerBrothers.com slash activate or Ultraviolet.com and Disney Movies Anywhere to redeem specific movies from specific studios. And in the last few months, many of these movie studios started to realize that people did not want their video libraries scattered across 10 different websites with 10 different logins. You know, when you want to watch a movie, you just want to see what your collection is, pick your movie and move on, not sort through my Warner Brothers library versus my Sony library. It's just it's stupid. So they started to band together and they came together with Voodoo. And movies anywhere. So instead of Ultraviolet, I think Ultraviolet has now gone by the wayside. And if you used to have an Ultraviolet library, that has now been integrated into Voodoo now. And so you're not losing your content. It's just being moved to a different, more centralized location. So that's like a step in the right direction. Instead of me having 12 sites to visit, I now have two. So far, so good with some cooperative work done by the studios, and we have to acknowledge this is a step forward. So we're moving in the right direction. Here comes the rub. It's going to take certain people by surprise, and it's going to lead to a drastic disappointment, a lot of frustration, and an overall negative attitude towards certain companies. And at the moment, this happens when you happen to purchase an Apple TV 4K. When you buy an Apple TV 4K, the promise is that any content you have in 1080 HD will auto-magically be upgraded to 4K resolution for free. Also, 4K movies are priced at the exact same price as an HD movie. 
normally if you go out and buy a Blu-ray, it's 20 bucks, a, you know, a 4K is $30. So right there, there's like this incentive to start thinking about buying your 4K content on an Apple TV specifically. So if my library of 100 plus movies that I have in my digital library gets converted to 4K for free, I'm actually saving $30 on every movie I don't have to repurchase. And my savings is $3,000 in just my digital library right now. So I'm thinking, my God, if I buy an Apple 4K TV, I'm not spending $150. I'm saving $2,850. Okay. That's, I can that's how I'm thinking that. as, okay. as a consumer, right? Mm -hmm. So here's where the stupidity sets in. I have Spider-Man Homecoming on Blu-ray. Mm -hmm. The only way to redeem the digital copy is through Sony's service. They don't give you an option to go through iTunes. But they say if you redeem it through Movies Anywhere or Voodoo, it will be in your iTunes library. Fair enough. I redeem the code. It shows up in my iTunes library. I want to play it on my fancy 4K TV and watch every single pixel in crystal clarity. And I can only get it to play in 1080p. Now, I got to state fairly, Apple says if you want your 1080p converted to 4K for free, you got to buy it through us. Uh... Now, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. I know that as a consumer, when I received the device, I knew that limitation. But I also know if I open my iTunes library, there's like 150 movies in there. And I don't know which ones I got from iTunes, which ones were from Sony, which ones were from Ultraviolet, which ones were from Warner Brothers. I, I just don't know. So if I go to my fancy, flashy Apple 4K TV, and I go to the store, I cannot buy a 4K version of Spider-Man Homecoming. I can only play my 1080 copy. So I called Apple, Vudu, and Movies Anywhere. And I talked to not just customer reps, not just the people above them, but the people above them. And I said, look, you guys are really screwing up. And I broke it down in numbers that they could understand. If you have a million consumers and only 5% of them get an Apple 4K TV for Christmas, and they cannot watch your library that you're hosting for them in 4K on that device, the only technological solution is I have to physically divorce my iTunes library from my Movies Anywhere library so it no longer sees that I own Spider-Man. And then I have to rebuy the damn thing yet again. And I don't want to keep rebuying stuff over and over and over just because you're giving me more pixels. Boy, I'm, I'm an entertainment dinosaur, so if I were to go down into my basement, I actually have films on Betamax. I do as well. I'm getting the Vietnam-level flashback, the whole notion of how many times have I brought the same damn thing over and over and over again, where it's VHS or Blu-ray or, or yep. digital. and the exact same thing with Star Wars is that I bought it on VHS mm -hmm. and it was standard format. Then I was able to buy the widescreen letterbox edition on VHS. Then I was able to buy the DVD eventually. Then I was able to buy the Blu-ray. Now they want to charge me a hundred bucks to buy the digital version. Now, this is where I'm starting to get really upset mm -hmm. about this situation. Do you think this is one of those situations where if consumers are made aware and if they make enough noise, I mean, yes, you know, we've yes. seen just in the last month or so, again, for example, the iPhone battery issue. Right, right. They put out their service and then they work out the bugs mm -hmm. after they find out what the bugs are. Mm -hmm. And I talked to, you know, one of the people that has direct contact with their engineers. Mm -hmm. And I said, I want you to just think about how many movies that you cannot redeem through iTunes and how many people have these digital libraries amassed all these different places and how many how many people do you actually have? You know, don't tell me the number, but let's just say it's a million. Mm -hmm. If you're gonna lose 50,000 people just if 5% of your audience gets an Apple 4K TV and the more people in your audience that buy that TV will have to divorce from your service in order to get their 4K stuff to work properly. And you're just going to have a dwindling business unless you find a way to make peace with Apple. And what this comes down to is it's a licensing issue. 
of Sony. It's, it's well, it's my license, therefore, you know, I get this percentage of the money. And well, it came from iTunes, so Apple gets this percentage of the money. And yeah, you can play something you purchased from them on our device, but their store doesn't recognize it as me having purchased it. When I talk to Apple, they're looking at my library and they're like, we don't see it, dude. It doesn't exist. And I'm like, you can look, I'm playing it right now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I own it. And they're like, no, we don't see it. It's a sharing of a license that's an issue. Now, to get to my problem with Disney and how this is tying into Disney specifically, mm-hmm. Spider-Man Homecoming is a Sony release. The Fox movies, all the X-Men movies, I've got those in 4K. I enjoy watching them. My Marvel Cinematic Universe is being blocked from me in 4K by Disney because they are not playing nice with anybody for anything. You remember how they used to do the Disney vault? Lion King would come out for, what, six months, and then it would go back in the vault, and you'd have to wait 10 years before you could get it again? Mm-hmm. Working at a video store, resale, a, a used copy of Lion King on VHS would go for $60 because of the vault. Mm-hmm. It's that supply and demand. They control the supply to increase demand. It's just like the diamond cartel. Mm-hmm. There's you know millions of diamonds, but we've only got, you know, these are just a few and they're the most beautiful in the world and they're a bazillion dollars. It's controlling the supply to create an artificial demand. Mm-hmm. The only way you can get a Marvel Cinematic Universe film in 4K is to go buy a $30 Ultra HD Blu-ray. Oh. And you can't get it on the iTunes store. You can't find it digitally anywhere. The stuff they're streaming on Netflix, even my Netflix is 4K capable. I'm watching Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, Daredevil, all in crisp, beautiful 4K. Mm-hmm. I switch over to Civil War, Doctor Strange, Star Wars, Rogue One, all 1080p because Disney is blocking the the most beautiful version of their content to force you, if you want to see it in 4K, you have to buy that $30 disc. And I am at the point right now where I have to declare to Disney, I love my Marvel and I love my Star Wars so damn much, but I'm not buying it anymore. Not until you can give it to me the way I want it. And I've got one final nugget to throw on to this that some people may know about, many may not. There's something out there called Harmy's Despecialized Star Wars. Have you ever heard of that, Jim? Why do I know this name? It's ringing a bell, but it's not. You, you got to know specifically why this exists. Mm-hmm. You remember when George Lucas gave us the new specialized Star Wars with oh, all the CG, BS, God. and all that? Okay, the light shines over Marvel. Okay, yep, please yep. explain. So what happened is a lot of people took their resources. and I mean, we're talking laser discs mm-hmm. and old VHS, and some people actually had film that they stole from a theater they worked at, you know, so it's like an original film print and stuff like that. And what they've done is they took out all of the specialized version of Star Wars and gave us the original print, including the opening crawl is not Star Wars A New Hope Episode 4. It is just Star Wars. It is the original print, and they've cleaned it up better than the DVD version that was put out many years ago and i want to say it's really really damn close to being better than the blu-ray version that was put out as far as the clarity of the restoration that was done on this project the only way to get it is to put on an eye patch put a parrot on your shoulder and pirate it Mm -hmm. it's the only way you can get it and the thing is i really 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 want this and i am willing to give disney my money if they will allow me to have it. But the deal with Fox, they own the original releases of the original trilogies, and there's all this legal mumbo-jumbo, and I'm a consumer that just wants one thing. I've wanted it for years. I want the version of Star Wars I saw when I was in the theater in 1977. It was my first movie, and I want that memory back in my head. And I can't get it, and the only way for me to get it is to do something illegal, and that bothers me. There's an audience and, and there's and there's a wall and there's a lot of legal BS and there's just a, they're not giving to their consumers what they want for the sake of money and that really pisses me off as a consumer and a fan. Okay, let me just toss something out here because remember, we've got the Disney Movies Anywhere project. I mean, you've got the ESPN 
version supposedly rolling out this year, the Disney version in 2019. What do you think the chances are that the ultra high grade 4K stuff shows up there? I actually know exactly that's what's going to happen. They're giving their stuff because they have a deal with Netflix. Fine. Here's our movies because we don't have our own distribution thing that we feel is properly branded as ours. Mm -hmm. They want to have a Disney streaming service. And in order to have your own streaming service, you need an absolute world of content. And now that Disney is broken beyond Mickey Mouse and branched into Marvel and Star Wars, they have channels of content you know it's not just here's hannah montana adults now have a reason to subscribe to this legitimately Mm -hmm. and it's opened up their audience a whole lot wider so if they block everyone else from having their shiny sparkly version of their content and withhold it until it's only available on their new service come 2019 or whatever, then all of a sudden, yes, I'm going to have to subscribe to it. Now, I want to also tell them, in the process of you making your shiny new app, it better plug into my Apple TV so I can use it that way. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, it better have an app for my LG OLED 3D TV so I can use it that way, because if it doesn't, I'm not buying a box. You've got to be able to make it easy for me. I just want to have one damn library. Mm -hmm. That's it. I've got a device that works very well to hold all of it. If you can integrate into that device, I will use you and I will pay for the subscription or whatever it takes. But I don't want to just be able to like Netflix movies go away after a time. I'll subscribe to a streaming service. But when I love a movie, I want to own it for life. I've got a lot of friends that were in movies. I Mm -hmm. buy movies that my friends were in. We vote with our dollars still and we go out and we buy a Blu-ray or whatever the highest quality version is that we can get our hands on. I genuinely feel your pain, Aaron. I do have to add in here that within the past week, I was talking with somebody uh, who's very much in the, the financial side of Disney. In fact, you know, he reached out just as they were sort of putting together the year end reports and was just kind of talking about the very same issue we're dealing with here. And it's just sort of like, I hate to be the guy to say this, but so much of what Disney is doing now is about the generation. Actually, it's the kids of the people who buy tablets for their kids. Right. And literally, it's just like, I want to watch what I want to watch when I want to watch it. So it's the whole notion of, terrestrial television those sorts of schedules disney is just pivoting away from that world and the very notion of nobody's going to want a physical copy of a movie anymore that day is coming what they're going to want is the digital copy that they can watch on their phone or their tablet or their giant you know ultra high def tv at home and and i'll tell you that's my problem right now i have a spare room Mm -hmm. solely for media it's only cds blu-rays dvds reel to reels because i've been in the radio industry i've got decades of reel to reels vinyl But yeah, I want to be able to get rid of that room. That's my goal. I want to be able to have it all in the cloud. The other thing that I want to point out for Disney's sake, I hope, you and Len on the Disney Dish podcast have mentioned so many times about Disney becomes more and more company about the haves and the have mores. And when their profit margin is so incredibly high, But when I'm a fan of something like Marvel and Star Wars, I want to own those things. I want to buy every bit of it and and consume it and love it. But if I see a a really, really, really rich company nickel and diming me for more pixels, I start to get really jaded against that company. No matter how much I love Star Wars and no matter how much I love Marvel, I got a friend that invites me to his IMAX theater to go see these movies for free. I don't have to pay them to consume their material in my life. I choose to as a fan. And right now as a upset consumer, I have to vote with my dollar by stop buying it. And then I have to call them directly and say, none of these things are behaving well as, as, as a consumer user. My experience sucks and you need to fix it Otherwise, I'm done with you. Okay. When you're dealing with a customer representative, you have to come at it as a point of a fan. I love these things, but you're not giving it to me the way that I want it. 
And in order for me to continue my relationship with you, you have to understand this is what I want and this is how I want it. And if you're not going to give it to me that way, I'm done. It's no offense to you. Again, I'm, I'm your fan. I am not wealthy. I can't afford to come to your parks all the time, but I will give you my money consistently if it's not always at a price increase every time you've added pixels. I really can't argue this point because as somebody who owns the beta and the VHS and the Blu-ray and the, you know, I mean, well, to back up my point, just one step further, Mm -hmm. Apple is super filthy, flipping rich. Yeah. The fact that they said, if you buy our little $150 device, all your 1080p content that you bought from us will be upgraded to 4k for free. Our 4k movies are the same prices as our 1080 prices. If you buy one, you get both. And I was like, are you kidding me? That doesn't happen in this day and age. You're supposed to price gouge me. And it gave me more of an appreciation for one company magically in a heartbeat and a lot of venom towards other companies because they're playing the, no, we still want to nickel and dime you. And we're going to wait and do that still. I'm glad you brought this topic up. I'd love to hear from other listeners to the show about if they're, they're having the same sorts of concerns and I'll try to reach out to friends. Like I said, I just literally just had this conversation within the last week to 10 days. And the pushback I got when I was chatting with this gentleman was that Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment, you know, the folks who actually do sell the Blu-rays and the DVDs and make deals with places like Target and the like to get end caps and proper positioning in the stores, mm-hmm. that business has been going away because of the kids who watch things on tablets or cast them from their phones onto the giant high-def 52-inch television. Right. And this is a business that is in the process of changing. And to be honest, what's going to complicate this issue for the next year plus is the Fox acquisition. You know, Fox had its own way it was going with its film library and Remember, one of the reasons Disney went after Fox was the, the amazing film library and the amazing television library. And That's a lot of content to add to their arsenal of entertainment options. I mean, it's logical. It makes complete sense. But it's the problem of are they going to just wall it off and then charge me a premium price simply because it's Disney now? Yeah. You know, and I understand when you spend four billion or whatever it is to build, you know, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and, you know, all this money. It's like, I don't I don't care mm-hmm. about what your investment was and how you have to recoup your money. The idea of building that attraction is to bring people into that park. Your home entertainment division, you don't have to nickel and dime me the same exact way that you nickel and dime me in the park. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, find a way to make someone love you by giving them just a little bit for free. If you get the 1080, you get the 4K. Yeah. It's the same damn movie. It's just some more pixels. Here's a code. Download the copy. And what does it actually cost Disney to give away the exact same copy of that movie with more pixels? Really nothing. Long story short, if, if anybody out there has an idea how to turn this into the next iPhone battery, please reach out to myself and Aaron. We, we, we would love to have that idea to, to sort of trumpet out there. It's the classic PR problem that when somebody has a good experience, they tell three people. But when somebody has a bad experience, they tell 10 people. Right. There's got to be people out here, you know, following the 2017 holiday season that are having the exact same issue that you're having, Aaron. And this really is, instead of a venting session, it's really a warning to our listeners because I know it's very common for people to get a digital code with if they buy a DVD or a Blu-ray. That's very commonplace nowadays. And when one company says, hey, we've integrated with iTunes, you know, and all the companies, all your libraries, all in one place, you can access anything anywhere. And then you, you make this purchase or you receive it as a gift and you are under the impression that magically everything in your library is going to be in the shiniest possible presentation available. And then you find out that the studios just aren't playing as nicely as they claim they are. And that in order for you to get the content the way that you really wanted it, you really have to do a lot of technical hustling to be able to make the technology work the way it should work in the first place. And the only way 
to is either do it yourself, which is a pain in the butt, or call all of the companies individually and voice your concern in a polite, friendly way of, I love you, I want to keep you in my service, but in order to do that, I need you to do this for me. Can you please make a note of that and send it up higher than, than your pay level? One, one step, please, to your manager. It's very important to me. No, I get that. I get that. I just have the uneasy feeling, given that the Disney Movies Anywhere project is 2019, I, I have the uneasy feeling that we may be a year plus out from a solution here. But, but here's hoping I'm, I'm wrong about that. Honestly, Jim, because it takes lawyers to settle this, because mm -hmm. it's all license negotiations, and it takes heads of studios to accept this concept, to initiate those lawyers, to start those discussions. So what they need is they need a flood of unsatisfied consumers threatening to leave because of this complication so they can go, okay, we need to find a way to sort this out. Otherwise, we lose our audience very quickly if they buy this one device. Mm -hmm. And face it, Apple's a popular company. They're the, you know one of the richest companies in the world for a reason. So the idea that some people that have a 4K TV may eventually buy an Apple 4K TV playing device is not all that out of the realm of reality. So once they start realizing that none of their junk works with anybody other, you know, any of the other stuff, and it's losing them consumers, then they'll step into action much more swiftly. But that's why you have to physically discuss it with them over the phone and explain the problem to them. Because when I talk to Movies Anywhere, they're like, we're only a couple months old. We had no idea this was a problem. And our engineers are constantly looking for ways to make our service better. And, I, and she's like, I guarantee you, this is now at the top of our list of how do we solve it? And I'm like, you need, you need your top brass and a team of lawyers, yeah. and you need to start talking to Disney and Apple, yeah, and that's I, where you start. Again, I apologize for tossing cold water here, but the one problem about the media world we live in now with the increasing consolidation with these giant monolithic companies where a Comcast owns Universal, which owns NBC, or a Disney, which owns Fox and Pixar and Marvel and Lucasfilm, is you get these organizations where the, the very thing about can you hand this up to your manager? And it's like, well, when I find out who my manager is, that's the first thing I'll do. And right, right now at Disney, and to be honest, it's like, I, I think I'm the manager. That may not be the way next week. But Now, let me give you just a point of reference and why I feel this is so very important to voice this. And it's because of those who do not observe history are doomed to repeat it. Mm -hmm. The record industry. Oh, God. Yeah. They were so not willing to adapt to the idea that you could digitally download a song because, God forbid, you could then send it off to a friend and they could play it for free and there would be rampant theft everywhere and Napster comes out. And yes, people were stealing music by the billions because you know why? It was really, really, really easy. And then iTunes comes along and they're like, hey, man. What if we just charge them a buck per song? And most record companies were still very resistant to it, and then they had to have DRM. So if you download it on this platform, it'd only play on this device. And it was always about protecting ourselves from the pirates and all that garbage. I can tell you, I can open a website and get anything in the world I want right now with like 20 keystrokes. Mm -hmm. it's, it's out there. You can't stop it. No matter how much DRM you throw on it, there's a way to get around it. I promise you, just stop trying. If you just make it available at a reasonable price and not block it from everything else in the world so it's just universally accepted, you've solved the problem. But the record company, they insisted on, no, we're not going digital. And then people were stealing their music digitally. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we'll charge a buck a song. And all of a sudden they're making money again. And all of a sudden MP3 sales outperform CD sales. And now the record industry a decade too late is all like, hey, how about this internet? Isn't it a groovy thing, guys? But they're too late and they're still crumbling because they're still addicted to their physical media and protecting their music through DRM and, and all that garbage. And movie studios are now facing those same hurdles. They haven't learned a damn thing from the music industry. 
And you need a historian somewhere in there with the lawyers to go, look, guys, do you want to fail or do you want to succeed? Make the customers happy. That's what you got to do to succeed, period. Well, face it, folks. You come here for Marvel News and you get other stuff. The bonus, bonus features. I love these insights into what's going on. Well, the, I guess my one, my main thrust for the Disney portion of it is that they are blocking me from 4K content and they're and they're going to charge me a premium for it. I know it's coming. I'm already upset about it. And for us that are Disney, Marvel, Star Wars fans, I'm like, I just want to see the prettiest version of my favorite stuff. Why won't you let me? Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And, and that bugs me. It, it makes me frown on the company and just go, man, I want to love you, but you're making it hard for me. Well, well, all right. Here's hoping someone fairly hyped the food chain actually listens to the show and maybe passes that along. Or, or if any of our listeners have some suggestions about how we could pass that along, please let us know. In the meantime, looking further down the pike here, we will continue with... Our series about the Hulk, in fact, not to tease the next show, but there was, before the Ang Lee Hulk, there was, uh, in 1997, uh, ILM made a run at doing a version of the Hulk. In fact, kind of ironic, because they, they're the ones who wound up doing the effects, but you were mentioning Billy Crudup, is is that? Yeah, he was going to be the banner. Mm-hmm. I'm interested, to a very small extent, mm-hmm. about unmade movies. Mm-hmm. And really, I just want to know, why wasn't it made? Was it a story decision? You know, was the story not coming together? Was it creative differences between the studio? Actually, my understanding, and again, we'll we'll get into this in the next show, but it was really more about cost. It was one of these things where they were within inches of turning the key on this thing. And I want to say when they budgeted it out, it was $100 million to make a Hulk movie. And that kind of froze the executives you know it was just one of these things where it's like how much on the back of billy crudup uh maybe yeah you know but again we'll get into that to the on our next show in the meantime as aaron mentioned at the very top of the show marvel agents of shield is actually on a pretty good run of episodes if you folks haven't been paying attention to that show that they really have kind of come into their own this season and it's going to be interesting to see how they they pay this off i've been enjoying it greatly Mm -hmm. for the first time in a long time yeah i really can't wait to see where it goes i think they've really raised the bar this season whatever cue you got agents of shield in bump it up a notch this Mm -hmm. season okay and looking further down the pike here we are getting closer and closer to black panther and we will start talking about that film fairly shortly But for now, I guess that we'll call it a wrap for this week. So for this week's Marvelous Disney, this is Jim Hill. And for Aaron Adams, thanks for listening.